1-300-01-1170 and text 0457-736-736 to get in touch. Welcome to Higher Ground with Julian King. Yeah, good evening everyone. Higher Ground, great to have you along this Wednesday night across the SEN network, 11.70am in Sydney, SEN Q693 in Brisbane, 16.20 on the Gold Coast and anywhere, anywhere in this beautiful earth. Via the SEN app. The open line number, should you like to join me, free call 1300 01 1170 and the text line 0457 736 736. As I mentioned, Simon McLaughlin is going to be spending a bit of time off. He's licking his wounds after the dogs got thumped by the Eels last Sunday. And a combination of that and special assignment, he'll be back in a, a few weeks. Well, you know, everybody knows I'm a Dragons fan and there's so much speculation about what is happening in the coaching ranks here at St George Lawara. You know what's interesting? And I saw this in the Herald today. And they're waiting for this one particular domino to fall. That is of Craig Bellamy, the Melbourne Storm coach. We all assume it was Billy Aches last year. He pretty much uh, led us on and said, you know, this is what I'd be very surprised if I coach on, but it hasn't been official. So they might sweet talk him there at the Storm. And the thing about it is, he's, he's now giving serious consideration to coaching on in 2024. He's expected to make a definitive call in coming days. And obviously, that would then have implications for who the Dragons then appoint as their next coach. So the board met yesterday, St George Lawara board met yesterday to, to look at potential replacements for Anthony Griffin. They're not going to conduct an interview process until a decision is made on the incumbent coach, but they're starting to put together their hit list. But as you know, at the top of that list is Jason Riles. But Riles is also heavily linked to the Melbourne job. So if Bellamy says, I'm going to stick around to 2024, that's when Riles' contract with the Roosters ends. That might be a nice seamless transition to take over from Bellamy at Melbourne. So that's really fascinating because those developments are going to affect the chances of the Dragons snaring the signature of their former boom front rower. We know Bellamy was expected, as we said, to finish his coaching career at the end of this season and then take up uh, more of an off-field role with the store, maybe football, head of football or something, I don't know. But now he's told those close to him, according to the Herald, that he's leaning towards one more year. One more year with a clipboard. And, of course, if that does transpire, well, there's ramifications for the Red V. So Riles is currently an assistant coach to Trent Robinson at the Roosters, contracted until the end of 2024. Now, the Roosters are pretty keen to avoid the situation that resulted in Adam O'Brien requesting an early release to take up the Newcastle job. And that's why they got Riles on a three-year contract. So if Bellamy decides to retire at the end of 2024, well, Riles could then see out his time with the Roosters, take over the Storm gig to start his NRL coaching career. Now, he's highly regarded. So at the monthly Dragons board meeting at the St George Leagues Club on Tuesday, directors gave, well, they gave management the green light to approach potential candidates for the job next year. You think about Riles, Ben Hornby, Dean Young, you know, other coaches that you'd assume would be sounded out. There's Hasler, Shane Flanagan, Michael Maguire, although we do read that, you know, any decision on the next coach needs to be unanimous on the board. And we understand that there are members of the board that are not hot on Shane Flanagan. So that might rule out He's still at another head coaching job, well, certainly at the St George Illawarra side. But the longer Bellamy 
flip-flops over his decision, the more hope the Storm hold out that he'll coach on. So Melbourne officials have refrained from imposing a hard deadline on, on Bellamy and he's expected to bring the matter to a head maybe in the next few days just to give clarity to all and sundry. But even if Bellamy says, you know what, 2023, that's it, I mean, there's no guarantee Riles will go to the Dragons. Anthony Griffin, as I said, they haven't punted him. They have not punted him. But take it as read, he's probably not going to be next year, bar a miracle and a big surge and a top four finish and, and who knows what. He is expected, Anthony Griffin, to fulfil his contractual obligations for the rest of this season. But according to the SMH, privately resigned to not earning a new deal. But what's interesting, I don't know if you caught David Riccio on Vossi and Brandy this morning. And he made mention of this. The Dragons GM of football, Ben Harron has been left to explain the club's inability to sign a marquee player as the board procrastinates over the future of Anthony Griffin. So he used the club's official podcast, Ben Harron, it's called The Dragon's Den, to explain the fragility of trying to attract marquee talent without being able to tell the player who the coach of the Saints are going to be in 2024. And this is not uncommon amongst other clubs. And the other thing, too, what we see, you know, a certain player signed with a club believing that they're going to play under a particular coach. All of a sudden, that coach gets punted. And then they start to um and ah or get cold feet about their potential move. And we saw that with the Tigers, didn't we? Michael Maguire. All of a sudden, he gets sacked. They didn't know who the coach was going to be. Happy Coruscant said, well, no, I signed a contract. I'm committed. Isaiah Papali'i sounded far less committed to the course, wanting to play under match. Jackson Hastings is another one. Loved Michael Maguire. Been open in his praise of Michael Maguire. Change of coach. Ended up being a change of circumstances for Jackson Hastings. But you can understand why it's hard to attract players or those that are signed next year. Maybe not so hot on a new coach coming in. I mean, look at what Ben Hunt's mentioned to the media in the past week or two. Entertaining the thought of maybe calling it quits or moving on if Hook is not there because he didn't have the appetite to start all over again with a new coach. But Ben Harrod said ultimately at the moment at the Dragons, you can't recruit a marquee because of the question of who the coach is going for. That is the situation we're in. You know, what can we recruit and retain? Who wants to be a Dragon? And still got three spots, by the way, remaining in their 30-man roster. You know, that's the main thing. It's a holding pattern that this club is in at the moment, St George Illawarra. And it is entirely the board's making. It used to be a destination club. And the thing that's so frustrating, so frustrating, is that they're not a dud side. They're not a great side. But they're not a basket case 17th position side. It's just a side that almost encompasses mediocrity doesn't it? Well, certainly has, give or take the odd finals appearances in the last decade or so. And for a club of that history, that reputation, that junior base, they should be consistently challenging for finals football a lot more than they have. So something's got to give. They need a circuit breaker. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. Well, it was the bombshell news when Teamless Tuesday came out yesterday. That being the dropping of the Roosters, halfback Sam Walker. Surprised me, surprised a lot of my mates who are Chookies fans. A lot of Roosters fans listen to this network.
this is pretty fascinating. Michael Chambers and Danny Widler had this story. And they're writing that a difference in opinion over how the Roosters should attack has led to tension between the family of dumped halfback Sam Walker and the Tri-Killers coaching staff. And I love these sentences. Sources with the knowledge of the situation, talking on the condition of anonymity, told the Herald that Walker's family are privately claiming the Roosters don't play a style of football that suits the young Queenslanders' strengths. Roosters fans out there tonight, they'd love to get your thoughts on that. Do you reckon the style of football is hampering Sam Walker's development at the Roosters? Hasn't really hit his straps in 2023. And that's now culminated in him being dumped to the New South Wales Cup in favour of a new halves pairing of, of Manu and Kiri for the Anzac Day clash against the Dragons. So the Walker family's privately raised concerns over the club's game plan and the influence of halves consultant Cooper Cronk on the style of football Walker has been asked to play. So his dad is Ben Walker, his uncle Shane Walker, renowned for their off-the-cuff brand of football that they coached at Ipswich in the Queensland Cup. And Sam Walker was basically raised playing that type of football. What do they say? He's an eyes-up footy player. And I hate that term. Joey hates that term. But Walker's family thinks he's been hamstrung by the attacking style of the Roosters, which is influenced by Cooper Cronk. And you think about Cooper Cronk and, and the type of halfback he was, and he was a manufactured number seven, one of the best structured halfbacks in the history of the game. Smart player. He's not one of Robbo's assistants, he still works for the club's halves at attacking players. Now, the Herald attempted to contact Cooper Cronk. Walker unlikely to be publicly critical of the Roosters, but those close to him voiced their concerns as far back as the preseason. so that's fascinating. But ultimately, you know, this is a the thing. There's all sorts of moving parts, all sorts of different personalities, all sorts of style of player at any given club. But when you boil it down to it, being a coach, manager, whatever... Really, all you need to do is bring out the best in your player. That's why Bennett's so good. You just need to bring out the best in your player. They're not doing that with Sam Walker at the moment, for whatever reason. Now, the Roosters made aware of the angst that's been bubbling in the background during the past couple of months. Now, apparently, Walker hasn't raised an issue with the club, hasn't raised an issue with Cooper Cronk. But now that he's been dropped, all of a sudden, this issue sees the limelight. And the Roosters say, no, no, we've got no issue with Sam Walker. We want him to spend time in reserve grade to rediscover his form. And they see him as a long-term halfback. He's a long-term halfback. His debut season, 19 try assists in 21 games. Just two this season. So what's changed? They've lost their past couple of games, of course, against Melbourne and then Cronulla. They've only scored three tries in 160 minutes, the Chookies. And on paper, gee, it's a potent back line. They completed at 88% last week, scored only two tries. So something's broken. Something is broken. Haven't scored a try in the second half in the past two weeks. Tedesco has not scored this year. And I know he spent some time off the field due to that head knock. So Robinson's now moved to reinvigorate his team's attack by dropping Walker, moving Manu to the halves. And you know he's, he makes tough calls, Robbo. They decided to move on Mitchell Pearce. He dropped Manu and Luttrell, you remember? To help them rediscover their attacking confidence. I love Sam Walker. I love watching him play footy when he's on. I still believe he's a representative quality player and I believe he'll be Queensland's long-term halfback after Daly Cherry Evans retires. You know, maybe this will be a fillip for his career. I hope it is. 
It's tough. The only thing I'd say to Sammy Walker, and I know it's a different code, hey, Sammy, even Bradman got dropped. Even Bradman got dropped. Then he got picked again and the rest is history. But, I mean, you don't have to look back that far. You think about Locke Lanilius. Remember when Saints were giving Souths a towel up last year, 30 points in the first half? They hooked him. They hooked their own half back. This was the heir apparent to the great Adam Reynolds, Redfern's favourite son. And now look at him. He's killing it to the point where people are saying, you know what, in hindsight, they made the right call to move on from Reynolds and back this young kid in the number seven. And it was, what, a year ago. He's only young Sam Walker. He's got a bright future ahead of him, and I hope this doesn't stall him too much. We'll see how the Roosters go on Anzac Day. Hopefully not too well. Of course, the Dragons got this corresponding fix to last year. I just have no confidence in tipping St George de Lawara, unfortunately. 0457 736 736, the text line number. If you want to call me tonight, you most certainly can on the open line. It is a free call, 1300 0111. 70. Well, the Roosters, of course, are home to Joey Suoletti for another couple of seasons. Did you see this in the Courier Mail today? The shamelessness of Hamish McLennan and Eddie Jones and Rugby Australia targeting Bronco superstar Payne Haas for the 2027 World Cup. So News Corp can reveal that their pursuit of Payne Haas is two years in the making. But the Broncos prop first holding secret talks with Australian rugby bosses during Dave Rennie's, Rennie's reign as Wallabies coach. In the words of Wayne from Wayne's World, I was not aware of that. So at the time, negotiations collapsed when Haas was arrested after clashing with police in a drunken New Year's incident. So Rugby Australia, at the point of that incident, abandoned their poaching bid. But now, obviously, they've got Suoliti's signature on a bit of paper, 4.8 mil. Rugby Australia is now circling, apparently circling Haas again. He's the number one prop of the game. Now, on the eve of Haas's clash with the Eels in Darwin Friday night, Rugby Australia chairman Hamish McLennan confirmed his interest and declared it's time for the Broncos and New South Wales origin forward to switch codes. And he said, Payne could definitely be wearing Wallaby gold. We like Payne. He's got a strong rugby pedigree. It's probably time for him to spread his wings and do something really special. I reckon there's a lot of unfinished business in rugby league for Payne Haas. To the point where they're saying he could be the Broncos' greatest front rower, ousting Glenn Lazarus. And that is a bold statement. It's the best prop I've seen, Lazar. This is always a selling point, isn't it, for the Raras? By playing rugby, Payne can see the world. thing about it is, you can play rugby league, go down as one of the greatest front rowers in history, get paid a million bucks a year. Get paid a million bucks a year. Buy a plane ticket, book a holiday, go see the world yourself. You know, there are other ways to see the world outside of being part of a touring rugby side. You realise that. Now, they haven't yet formally approached Payne Haas Rugby Australia, but McLennan, keen to, so he's on record as saying we're keen to talk to him. Very keen to talk to him. Deliver the type of pitch that convinced Sawaliti to quit the Roosters in pursuit of a Wallabies World Cup campaign. Now, the Broncos, they're aware of this. Think about European clubs. Of course, they'll fight tooth and nail to keep him there. Payne Haas, by the way, off contract at the end of next season, making him a free agent from November 1 this year and available for that 2025 Lions tour and 2027 World Cup campaign. So Broncos management, they've, as you know, it was reported last week, have opened prelim talks to extend Haas with a view to making him the first $1 million forward in Brisbane's 35-year history. They've got to keep him. 
They have got to keep him. Do you reckon he'd go? I reckon he owes the Broncos paint house. I think the stay at Brisbane. But then who? Who knows? They've gone off from somewhere around the million-dollar mark. For a bloke that doesn't play 80 minutes, that is decent coin. But then when you start to get to the 1.5, 1.6 for Suwali, big numbers again, it's all publicity. All publicity is good publicity for Rugby Australia because people are talking about the code and getting one back over Rugby League. They'll throw the kitchen sink at pain house, dare I say. 0457 736 736. Uh, 362 on the text line says, Sam Walker for a Jack White and trade. Don't think so. I don't think so. But who knows? Speaking of Jack White and Jason Demetrio, the Rabbitohs coach has spoken today. He admitted he'd love to have Jack White at the club. Now as reports surface at Souths had loomed as a shock threat to sign the Raiders Stark. Do you honestly see him there? It's funnily enough, I was listening to, to Joel and Fletch on the run home and Fletchy posed the question is, have they had a big signing since Latrell Mitchell? So Inglis was their huge signing, they got Latrell, but have they had one since Trell? That was, what, about four years ago. So maybe they're due. Maybe they're due. So since Whiten announced he would test the open market, the Raiders and the Dolphins appeared to be the only two clubs. I'm hearing the Titans as well in contention for the 30-year-old signature. But today, according to the Sydney Morning Herald, it seems the Bunnies now are going to join the race. Dimitri not exactly denying it in his press conference yesterday. Let's hear a bit of what South Sydney coach Jason Dimitri had to say about the prospect of Jack White and landing at, is it, I want to say Redfern, but it's not now, is it? It's Heffron Park. It doesn't sound the same. Let's just try that again. The possibility of Jack White and landing at South Sydney. Oh, I love Jack. Yeah, he's, I know he's got a lot of good friends in the club through rep footy. Um, you know, it's, if Cookie's willing to take a pay cut, then it's probably something we could sit down and have a chat about. Um, get all the big earners in and see if they're willing to, um, you know, what they're willing to do. But, look, you know, we, we'd love to have him here if there was an opportunity to get him here, but um, we're pretty full in the cap as well. So, it's um, yeah, it's unlikely, but we'll see what happens. He, he's a fantastic footballer. I'm sure there'll be a host of clubs interested in him. And, um, yeah, we'll just see how it goes. Plays out. Uh... If Cookie's willing to take a pay cut, I think as Damien Cook on Monday had spoken about the potential of a white move to the Bunnies after praising his decision to retire from all representative footy. You know, some people have bagged him for that call. If he wants to make that decision for his own future and his family, so what? So what? Good luck to him. I don't begrudge anybody for making a decision they think is in their best interest. He spoke... Yesterday, Jack White said he'd like to make the decision in the next couple of weeks. He says, I'm breaking no rules. I had an option to check the market at my age. That's what I've done. And totally in... Well, you know what? I'd probably do that too. He's absolutely entitled to make that call. Donnie Ferner even said as much. and has been loyal to Canberra. Ricky, mind you, said, we've been loyal to him, which is true. If I'm a betting man, I think he's out of Canberra. I think he's gone. I reckon it's one of the Queensland teams. Honestly, I reckon it's Dolphins or Titans. He's the destination club. For Jack Whiten. But if he did go to the, the Bunnies, where would he play? Like, where would he play? He's not playing 5 8 there to Cody Walker. You play him in the back row, potentially. Play him in the centres. Campbell Graham, Isaiah Tass. To play him at fullback, Ed Luttrell. So, would you fork out big, big money, 800, 850,000 for somebody like Jack Whiten? to land at the Rabbitohs. As they said, I mean, they, you know, got a lot of, don't have a lot of cap space, so maybe it's all fanciful stuff, find the sky stuff, who knows. 
I don't think you'll go to South City. But if you're asked, yeah, well, you're always over. This is the Bennett play, isn't it? Plays that aren't available, but somebody asks, well, if they are available, we'd certainly look at them. And I'm talking about, say, for example, Latrell Mitchell of the Dolphins. Of course he would. He's an elite player, Jack Wyden. He won't be at South Sydney. 0457 736 736. You know, this is funny. Uh, thank you to 172 on the text line. Could Reuben Garrick be a smoky for the wing spot in State of Origin? Somebody else mentioned it might have actually been a Fox graphic. Now, he's a very solid footballer, Reuben Garrick. I don't see how he's anywhere near that representative side. Because if Garrick's in, who got him ahead of? Assuming, just talking loosely, he could play left or right. Wing, right? He's not ahead at all. If the fox is fit, he's not ahead of out of car. He's not ahead of Tupo. He's not ahead of if they decide to play Campbell Graham on the wing. I don't think at the moment he's a better option at represented football than Campbell Graham. There's talk about playing Trebojevic on the wing. We're certainly not ahead of Turbo. There's a good player, Reuben Garrick, a Dragons junior, of course. But no, I don't think it's a smoky for the wing spot in State of Origin. But I have seen this discussion. Look, strange things have happened, but I'd be absolutely shocked if Ruben Gary gets a call up. Thank you for your text. Keep them coming in 0457 736 736. There is so much happening in rugby league. I can go through all the late mail for you after the break as well. And the Aussie Ashes squad, I'll run through that for you and I'll expand on that a bit after the break. But it is in for the World Test Championship final and the men's ashes. Of course, the condensed ashes to make time for the 100 and clear the decks for England to prep for the uh, the World Cup. So everything's sort of kowtowing to the white ball stuff at the moment. But this is the World Test Championship final and the men's ashes squad. Pat Cummins, captain. Scott Boland, Alex Carey is the number one keeper. Cameron Green, he was good actually at Mumbai Indians, Cameron Green. Seemed the IPL, he had 60 off 40 and picked himself up a wicket. Marcus Harris. Contentious, some would say. Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Josh Inglis, Usman Kawaja, Manus Labuschagne, Nathan Lyon, Mitchell Marsh. He was on the last tour. Great to see Mitchie Marsh back. Played that final test, of course, at the Oval. Got a stack of wickets. Todd Murphy has to be the backup spinner now. He's a clear number two in the country. Matty Renshaw, Steve Smith, who's the vice-captain, Mitch Stark, and a bit of conjecture over this, David Warner. Now, if they've been asked about Warner's selection... Selectors and Pat Cummins, for that matter, said, yeah, they're basically not committing him to anything other than the World Test Championship against India, which will precede the Ashes Tour. By the way, you can hear that all live right here on SCN and the Ashes. It is your official commercial broadcast partner. You might have heard Jared announce that on socials and on his old program, Waitley, this morning, which is fantastic news. Fantastic news at SEN, the commercial broadcast partner, radio broadcast partner for the Ashes in 2023. We'll get to more of your texts after the break. 0457 736 736. We are up and running this Wednesday night. You're with Jules on High Ground. one 1170 and text 0457-736-736 to get in touch. This is Higher Ground with Julian King. Higher Ground, we aim to take you high every night we are on air. Let's run through the late mail for round number eight. Oh, this is going to be a belter of a game, isn't it? 
Rabbitohs and Panthers, 7.50pm, McCall Stadium tomorrow night. You'll hear the call live right here on SEN. Tane Milne replaces Isaac Thompson on the wing after being ruled out with an ankle injury. This is for the Bunnies. Of course, Ken Kalamatungi had that leg injury last week. Michael Cheekam will return to the side. And uh, Josiah Karapati is the 18th man for Penrith. No changes. In today's update, Scotty Sorensen moves back into the starting sign to replace Liam Martin, who continues to, to battle hamstring injuries, re-aggravated that last week. And then Lindsay Smith has been called onto the bench while Luke Garner is named as 18th man. Jared Sutton, the match referee, and the senior review official is Adam G. Eels-Broncos, that is the 8 o'clock game Friday night, TIO Stadium in Darwin, Mile neck of the woods. Darwin? Josh Hodgson here returns after missing Sunday's game against the Dogs due to illness. Brendan Hands will drop back to the bench. Some are saying that Hands should be starting now for the Parramatta side. Bailey Simonson has served his suspension. Maybe a late inclusion for Hayes Dunster after being named in the reserves. For the Bronx, Thomas Flegler, their prop forward, and Corey Oates are back in the 17. For Kevin Walters, both expected to play. It's good to see Corey Oates back after that busted jaw and Flegler had about a concussion. Jordan Rickey in a bit of doubt with the leg injury, but still on track to play at this point. The match official, the referee, is Ashley Klein. The senior review official is Casey Badger. The 5.30 game, no 3 o'clock game on the Saturday. 5.30 game, Bulldogs and the Sharkies. That match at a core stadium. Jake Avarillo and Andrew Davey have been named to play despite suffering injuries against the Eels. Could be late withdrawals. We'll wait and see. Avarillo with that knee complaint and Davey with a finger. Carl Oluapu has been named as 18th man. He's getting very, very close, this wonder kid, to an NRL debut. Jarrell Skelton, Reese Hoffman could be late inclusions should either Avarillo or Davey be ruled out. For Cronulla, no late changes expected and Craig Fitzgibbon will stick with the same 17-man squad that got the job done against the Roosters. So that match, of course, Stadium 5.30pm. Chris Sutton is the referee and Chris Butler is in the bunker. The 7.35 game uh, that is Saturday night. Queensland Country Bank Stadium, Cowboys and Knights. Where are you going with this one? You know, we keep waiting for this Cowboys side to come good, and they haven't. And they've got to start coming good in the next couple of weeks or they're going to struggle to make the finals. And this Knights side keeps showing backbone, keeps showing resilience. And they've shown a lot more than I anticipated them to show this season. Ruben Cotter going to start the game at lock. Of course, Jason Tamalolo facing up to six weeks on the sideline with that knee injury. Jordan McLean returns from a hamstring injury. Jake Granville will drop back to the bench for the Knights. This is the end that everyone's talking about. Caelan Ponga. So KP back for his first game since round two. He's going to play his 100th game too, by the way. Jacob Saifidi returns from a four-game suspension on the bench. Could move into the starting side on game day for Leo Thompson. So some key ends there for the Newcastle side. Of course, the big loss of them was uh, Jaden Braley, the hooker for the season. Phoenix Crossland, a good player he is, deputises at number nine. Tyson Gamble has to be in the squad. He's, he's got a bit of mongrel about him, Tyson Gamble. And he's filled in beautifully in Ponga's absence. And people are saying, where do you play Ponga? Well, you can't hide him. We've got to work on his technique. Fine. Maybe he spends a bit of time at fullback, swaps around with Lockie Miller. But if he gets, and I heard Scotty Sattler say, and the rat the other day, you know, if Ponga just gets forward, don't even have to be good games. If you can just get through four or so solid games of footy, he will walk back into that Queensland side. 
p.m. Saturday night, Queensland Country Bank Stadium in Townsville. Ben Cummins is the referee and the senior review official is Grant Atkins. Sunday, 2 o'clock game, the Dolphins and the Titans and a lot of Queensland derbies in the past few weeks. Now, no late change is expected for the Dolphins. They welcome back Felice Cafusi. There's an important in from suspension. In place of Kemi Bromwich, who's out with suspension. Kurt Donahue retains his spot on the bench. Mason Teague and uh, Valence Tevare named in the reserves. For the Titans, Alexander James Brimson been listed amongst the reserves as he closes in on a return from a hamstring complaint. His inclusion, well, it could possibly see him join the side and play in the halves. Tanner Boyd shifting to hooker. Chris Randall and Nira Crick Cruz leaving have both been named in the side. So that game, 2 o'clock on Sunday at Suncorp Stadium. The Chris Butler is the match referee and the senior review official is Matt Noyan. Then you've got the Tigers and the Eagles. The Tigers fresh off the bye. Two points. They're off the duck egg. So well done to Tigers fans. They take on Manly. Impressive last start winners against Melbourne. 4.05pm. This is the first game out of Campbelltown for the season. Tommy Talao returns for a facial injury. Fascinating, isn't it? He's the one that's been on the Seagulls' radar. Tommy Talao. So he's back from injury. On the bench, he's joined by Dane Laurie, who's not played since round four. I'd like to see him give Laurie a crack at 5.8, to be honest. Now, David Nofaluma listed among the reserves as he's nearing a return from a foot injury. Might be a late inclusion. Sean Bloor, Justin Matamua could also be a late inclusions after being named in jerseys 19 and 20, respectively. Uh, Jareem Buller is expected to make his NRL debut at fullback with Charlie Staines shifting to the wing. For the Eagles, Josh Schuster finally. We had a few false starts with Joshy Schuster in the past few weeks. Returns after missing three games with a quad injury. He's tipped to play. Ruben Garrick also back on deck, good to go after suffering concussion. While Samuela Fainu makes his debut off the bench in place of Kelma Tuolungi, who is also out with concussion. That match Sunday, 4.05pm at Campbelltown, as we mentioned. The referees, Todd Smith, the senior review official, is Jared Sutton. Then the final match of the round, that is the Tuesday. Well, sorry, not the final, the second final. Two days on the Anzac Day. The Roosters and the Dragons, the traditional Anzac Day clash, 4.05pm at Allianz Stadium. As we mentioned at the top of the program, this is the big change for the Chookies. Joseph Manu has been named to start at 5-8. Luke Keary at halfback. Sam Walker dropping to the reserves. So the drop Sam Walker, Trent Robinson. Paul Momorowski, the new centre. So he is back. Angus Crichton will make his comeback. Will fill the hole left by Nat Butcher's suspension. While Satili Tupanil also returns on the bench. So they're just getting a bit of starch back in the forwards now. I need some points. Nathan Brown named in the reserves. Closes in on a club debut. For the Dragons, just the one stage sta- uh, change in the starting side for Anthony Griffin. Ben Murdoch, Masilla back in the pack after playing New South Wales Cup on Sunday. Just a quick out and in for BMM. Moses Embi is going to start at hooker again after the Red V had a late change to their hooking rotation last week. Jacob Little listed on the bench. So that is the big game. It's a great game. Been there many, many occasions. A solemn and sombre occasion. They do the ceremony so well. The referee's Adam G. The senior review official is Ashley Klein. And then the other traditional Anzac Day game, Tuesday, 7pm is kickoff. 7pm, Amy Park. It is the storm up against the Warriors. Nass is back. Nelson Asofa Solomona. They need him too. Named to return from an injury. Filling that void left by the suspended Tui Kamakamitha. Now, Big Nelson expected to play with a long turnaround for Tuesday's game. Nick Meany also back after missing round seven due to delayed concussion symptoms, which allows them to shift Cameron Munster back to 5-8. 
Now, for the Warriors, no changes expected. Murata near Corey's return from a two-game suspension pushes Josh Curran to the bench. Well, Josh and Curran was on Sports Day earlier today. I'll play that for you in the next hour of the program. Uh, Tane Tuapiki is also on the reserve list. So the final game is 7 o'clock on the Tuesday for Anzac Round. The referee is Grant Atkins and the senior review official is Ben Cummins. So we're up to date with all the late mail in the National Rugby League for round number eight. If you want to send me a text, feel free, 0457 736 736. Roosters fans, what do you make of Sam Walker's dropping? Are you happy with it? Is there a reason? Is he the reason? Why you've been below your best in attack, why you haven't scored many tries? And what do you reckon Jack Whiten's going next year? You know, Jason Dimitri, we heard him joking about we'd love to have Jack at the at the Rabbitohs. Can they afford him? No, they absolutely cannot. Dolphins, Titans, remaining at the Raiders, what do you think? And then the other news was, well, Craig Bellamy's still umming and ahhing and prevaricating, if you like, over whether he'll continue to coach at Melbourne for one more year in 2024. If that's the case, you could see a seamless transition from him to Jason Riles. He was his assistant for many, many years and Riles, of course, spent the time under Eddie Jones in the England rugby setup. But if that's the case, that that's almost, and we expect a decision from Bellamy in the next couple of days, that is the first dominator to fall, I believe, when it comes to all this coaching speculation in and around Anthony Griffin's future at the Dragons. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. that is the open line number. Free call. We can keep each other company this Wednesday night. Jules in the chair on higher ground right across the SE network. and breaking back with plenty more. Call 1300 01 11 70 and text 0457 736 736 to get in touch. This is Higher Ground with Julian King. Higher Ground this Wednesday night with Jules 0457 736 736. Now, normally I reserve the birthdays till after 11, and I will continue to do that. Just flicking through the list, gee, some big names on the birthday list today, being the 19th of April. As I mentioned, I ran through that Ashes squad, the Australian Ashes squad, for the... Yeah, well, when does it start? So that's pretty soon, actually. It's in June. Some key ins. Mitch Marsh back in the frame for Test Cricket for the first time in four years, been named in that squad for the World Test Championship final. And then, well, the thing about Marsh, and I like, he's a, he's a really good guy to have around the squad, Mitchell Marsh. Endured a few frustrating summers. He's been battling injury and performances in his sole first-class outing of the season, which is a rapid-fire century in Tasmania. Stood up. He's at that age now where he sort of really understands his game, Mitch Marsh. The white belt format against India more recently just showed his potential to, you know, can be a match winner on his day, Mitch Marsh. So I'll recap that squad again. Pat Cummins, Scott Boland, Alex Carey, Cameron Green, Marcus Harris, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Josh Inglis, Usman Kawaja, Manus Labuschagne, Nathan Lyon, Mitch Marsh, Todd Murphy, Matt Renshaw, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark and David Warner. So no big surprises really there that National Selection Panel, the NSPs retain that core cool lineup that well, basically carried Australia to the World Test Championship final through consistent performances over the past couple of years. So Marcus Harris included as, I guess, the extra opener in that squad behind Warner and Kawaja. We know that Renshaw can open as well. Some are saying that maybe Bancroft should have been picked. Best player in Shield cricket this season. I know Mark Taylor had come out and said as much. and He doesn't mind a left-hand, right-hand combination. I probably would have had Bancroft over Harris, to be honest. And the reason I say that is if it's a toss of the coin between Bancroft, Harris and even Renshaw, for example, and looking at Warner, thinking Warner's shaky. Well, if it's much of a muchness in terms of ability, then maybe you look at the right-hander. 
to stick their nose in front by virtue of being a person that can bat in combination with Usman Khawaja. See, if Harris' street's ahead of him, then you go, OK, well, if you've got to go with all left-handers, so be it, because he's the best candidate. I'm not convinced he is. So the squad includes four specialist quicks. Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, Boland. They've got six tests to play in a short amount of time. There's no way all of those, and that includes a captain, are playing all six tests. I'd be stunned. We saw that seam bowl rotation last time out. You've got Cameron Green and Cabal, Marsh, if they pick him, Lyon and Murphy. Lance Morris, you know how they wanted to unleash the wild thing. Had a back injury upon his return from that test tour of India. Matt Renshaw's performances in Australia, Ray against New Zealand, that kept his place because he had a poor tour of India, but he's very much horses for courses. But Bancroft, this is the thing. I mean, he missed the 18-man squad that lost 2-1 to India. Didn't win a recall despite finishing the summer as the leading run scorer in the Sheffield Shield. No spot for Kuhneman, no spot for Swepson, no spot for Agar, and no spot for Peter Hanscom. So the squad which will assemble in England in late May is going to be trimmed to 15 on May 28 as per ICC requirements for the World Test Championship final. That's against India. That kicks off on June 7th at the Oval. So the 17 players named today after that will then begin preparations for the first two tests of the subsequent Ashes campaign. So this is not final. And for those that are admitted that are sticking around in county cricket, well, they're on call. So Hans going to be on call. Nice would be on call. You've got Lords, that's June 28, Edgbest and June 16 before that. And then they'll revise the group for the last three Ashes tests, Headingley, Old Trafford and the Oval. Maiden tour for test incumbents Alex Carey and Cameron Green. Maiden tour for Scotty Boland, Todd Murphy. George Bailey's been speaking today. The World Test Championship is the culmination of more than two years of consistent performance at test level by the team and the individuals involved, leading into an Ashes which is highly anticipated. He says, the changes are based upon the conditions we are anticipating. Marcus Harris, Josh Inglis, Mitch Marsh return to the squad will provide valuable depth and flexibility within their respective skill sets. Of course, Inglis, the reserve gloveman. Mitch Marsh, one first-class game in the past two years because of ankle surgery. His most recent test outing was that final match of the previous Ashes Tour in 2019. But in his sole shield match of last summer, Bludgeoned 108 from 111 balls. He had to go, Marsh. He had to go. Warner, of course, a contentious one. I mean, 100 tests, that'll buy you a few credits. He's got to be running out, though. 36-year-old, 95 runs from his five tests in the 2019 Ashes. Average 9.5. Tormented, of course, by Stuart Broad. Got him seven times in 10 innings. Left arm around the wicket. Had that double hundred, of course, in Melbourne, but outside of that, only passed 50 twice in the past couple of years, Warner. So if Warner and Kawaja are reunited to the top of the batting order, they'll become the oldest first-wicket combination in an Ashes series since England's Jeff Boycott and Mike Brearley in the 1981 campaign, who were 40 and 39, respectively. And this has got to be the last chance of Marcus Harris, doesn't it? I'm not, I'm not yet convinced of Marcus Harris. I don't know where I stand with him. I wonder if he's... You know, Matt Hayden had a few false starts. People thought he was done and then had that breakout India tour. And never looked back and became one of our greatest openers. I'm not saying Harris will do that or replicate Hayden's career, but 
a lot of people written him off as maybe just a very good Shield player and nothing more after not really taking his opportunities in the times he has been selected for Australia. He's got talent, no doubt. But if he does get picked this time, he's at a stage where he knows his game inside and out. Mike Hussey seems to think so. Chris Rogers, obviously a backup, being his coach of Victoria. Harris finished the Shield season 601 runs at 37.56, couple of centuries. Not bad, started pretty well for Gloucestershire in Division 2 of the county competition, averaging 103. All that would have helped. Since been recalled to Aussie's lineup for the final test against South Africa, Renshaw has not reached double figures in his three innings. It was a bit of a joke. He got COVID, didn't he, in that Sydney test? Average 50-plus in the Shield summer. Standout batter for Australia, Ray, and New Zealand. Leading run scorer, 332 runs at 83 with two centuries. Can't ignore that form. And then you think about England, right? So Ben Stokes, the England captain, revealed recently his wish for fast, flat pitches. Wouldn't you love that? I want to see how baseball goes against Hazelwood and Stark and Cummins and Bowler if they are at their peak. How's baseball going to go? Not as well as it's gone so far, dare I say. Australia will look to counter that ploy, of course, with those fast bowlers. But they did rotate five quicks through as many matches. You think about Pattinson and Siddle, who were involved with Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark. Stark didn't play until the fourth test of Manchester. He'll play earlier than that. 2-2 draw. They should have won the series. They should have won the series. They need Smith to rediscover that form. It has never been the same player since, has he, Steve Smith? Never been the same player since. It was a breakout tour for Marnus Labuschagne. Again, Australians be relying heavy, heavily on those two gentlemen. They have held the Ashes since 2017, despite retaining the urn with a 2-2 drawn result in 2019. They have not won a test campaign against a historic rival on England's turf since 2001. And I always say that's a thing for all the talk about England, sorry, India, being the biggest mountain to climb. They've won a series in India more recently than they've won a series in England, these Australians. Happy to get your thoughts on the Aussie squad. Was Bancroft unlucky? Was Nisa unlucky? He'll be there and thereabouts. He'll be playing for Glamorgan. And you know what? He's better off served playing county cricket and they can call him up to join the team any time they choose than to be a netballer, netballer. So I'm OK with that. And there's another, look, the thing about it is Queensland. Our Queensland listeners love Michael Neeson. They're outraged every time he doesn't pick. They think Jimmy Pearson should be the keeper. It's good cricketer, Michael Neeson. Any other era would have played a lot more. 0457 736 736. Break and back with more. Yeah, I just want to feel alive with you. Call 1300 We've got a break coming up at 11 o'clock. Mark, hold the line. I'll get straight to you after 11 o'clock and I'll run through the sporting birthdays as well. Jeremy from West Pinner Hills, uh, good to hear from you. Chairs up nice and late tonight. JK, Warner has to stay. He's class, people think he's done. Folks who can score double tons don't come along often. Read the best team in Bancroft, Australia's never picked their best team for years. Look at Brad Hodge. Well, Brad Hodge got the double hundred, and I think it was a couple of tests later. He was dropped off. The, no, it might have been more than that. And they didn't take over that South African tour. And they decided instead to recall Damien Martin. On reflection, it was a good call because Martin never looked back. I mean, Warner, you know what? He's played over 100 tests now. Average is, what, 45-odd. Had a triple century. He's got, what, 25 test hundreds. You know, somebody with that last to his career, you don't dispose of lightly. The concern I have for Warner, you know, he's always, for me, just that guy that was ever one innings away. 
I started to lose faith in that theory, though, Jeremy, when I saw his strike rate drop and drop and drop. The harder he works, it's like a law of diminishing returns. Give him the World Test Championship, see how he goes. Could be a nice swan song for Dean Warner. one 1170 is the open line number to your calls after the break here on High Ground this Wednesday night. I found my way back to a higher ground. Call 1300-01-1170 and text 0457-736-736 to get in touch. Welcome to Higher Ground with Julian King. Yeah, finally out of the program, high ground this Wednesday night, and then tomorrow it starts all over again. Round eight of the National Rugby League, and it is a blockbuster. Hear the action live right here at SEM. The South Sydney Rabbitohs and the Penrith Panthers. one 1170 that is the open line number. Just before we get to Mark, uh, Jeremy on the text line. Thanks for the answer. Good to hear back on. Good to hear from you, Jeremy. Yes, with regards to David Warner. Sporting birthdays today. It is the 19th. Of April, born this day, 1873, Sydney Barnes. Not the Aussie cricketer Sydney Barnes, the other Sid Barnes. English cricket fast bowler. I believe Richie Benno had him in his all-time greatest test team. 27 tests, 189 wickets. Like, he's freakish when he averaged under the 20, I think he did. Played for Warwickshire and Lanx. Uh, still on the cricket theme, born today, 1933. Arguably the most famous umpire in the game's history, Harold Dickie Bird. Uh, 66 tests, the umpire. He was born in... Barnsley, England. Dickie Bird, happy birthday to you. 1956, Sue Barker, she of Wimbledon, interviewing fame. Of course, her British tennis player. She won the French Open 1976. Uh, she's born today, Sue Barker. Uh, a man who wouldn't mind his grunt in the back row for the Dragons at the moment. Graham Wynn, happy birthday to one of the Red V's finest. Uh, Graham Wynn, born today, 1959. Think about Graham Wynn. Now, I always remember as a kid, I could be wrong, but it seemed to me that he was a master of the fifth tackle penalty. You know, fifth tackle and bang, just dumps on the play of the ball and slows it down. I go, what are you doing? Whistle. 1964, as a good player, played for Canberra, Brisbane, of course, and all Sydney Bears, the late, great Peter Jackson. Happy birthday and RIP, Jacko. 1966, the great pistol, Paul Rifle, 35 tests for Australia, of course, now a test umpire, four shy... No, no, sorry, you got it's, uh, 96 one-day wickets, 105 test wickets. 1972, Rivaldo, the great Brazilian footballer, was born. 1973, famous tackle on Jeff Wilson. Captain, one of our great scrum halves in Wallabies colours, George Gregg, and happy birthday to George Gregg. 1975, born this day, Jason Gillespie, Dillett, Dizzy. Still a great nickname, isn't it? Great mullet he had too. 71 tests, 259 wickets. Gee, as a player. And, of course, that infamous 201 not out against Bangladesh in his final ever test. 1978, what a talent he was. The Newcastle Knights' Owen Craigie, 1987, born today. English soccer goalkeeper Joe Harp, also born in 1987. Five-time Grand Slam singles winner. Blonde haired Russian, Maria Sharapova. And born this day, 1998, Corey Allen. So we're up to date with the birthdays. I told you last hour it was a bumper birthday edition today. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Hi, Mark. Hey, Julian. I, I've, I know a player who was very good at the old. I wouldn't call it the fifth tackle penalty. Yeah. But he's good at the double penalty. It was the old Jason Riles. Oh, it's something about forwards, that. though. Yeah, you're right, actually. And he was the king of ill-discipline, old Rilesy. And he's a oh, great man. forward, but um. He was. 
brings me back to my point being that uh, the myth that is Melbourne Storm assistant coaches. Yeah. I wouldn't exactly say has been a success. Stephen oh. Kearney was not a success. Um, Adam O'Brien, not a success. Kevin Walters failed at Catalans. I wouldn't exactly say he's been a raging success. Mm. None Brad of them Arthur. have been. Brad Arthur was course. in the system too. Brad, Brad, Arthur's, Brad Arthur's probably the one. Actually, yeah. if there was a coach, a current coach, I'd like the coach of Dragons. It's Brad Arthur. Oh, I like Brad Arthur. I reckon he's an OBS sort of coach. Yeah. But, um, I'm, not a, yeah. I'm not a fan of... I, I like Jason Riles. I, I, he, he's a great player for the Dragons, but I'm not a fan mm. of him. He won't come to the Dragons anyway, but I'm not a fan of him. No, I don't think anyway. he will. Oh, no, I can see why he's on the hit list. It's not only that. It's not just being in the Storm system. He's in the Roosters system and spent time with Eddie Jones as well. You know, the, Eddie's not going to hire somebody he thinks he's no good, you know. Uh, this is, uh, I think we probably see the second coming of Anthony Seabold. It's funny, you, talk, you know, Wayne Bennett, who, of course, delivered us our premiership in 2010. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love that time again? Somebody just walks in a heavyweight, first year there, minor premiership, second year premiership, you know. Those were the good old days, Mark. But, you know, he was talking about this notion of assistant coaches and he said, out so, not that it's not important, but it's overrated. He likes the idea of taking oh. these assistants, putting them in a competition where they actually have experience being a head coach because it is vastly different to being a head coach. So you can be in all the best systems, well, but until you've actually done it yourself, yeah. you don't know if you're going to sink or swim. Well... Another coach that we had, Jason Demetriou, he did that. He Long apprenticeship, yeah. In Cleveland and New South Wales. Illawarra Cutters, I remember. Yep, yep. And Queensland, and um, what a success he is. But anyway, I'm not going to talk about the Dragons tonight. In regards to the Ashes, Julian, mm. I'm not a. I, I think the Poms will get it wrong. I think they're playing in the house. Anyway, our sweet spot is they get uh, wickets that are fast and hard. Um, yeah. I don't know if they've noticed, but we haven't won a national series for 20 years because we've struggled with the uh, ball that's moved. Yep. Since 2001. So, that's the thing. Yeah, it's it's a really good point you make. You know, they haven't won there in 01, and for good reason. So so why are you going to, I suppose, well, try and reinvent the wheel? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I like what they're doing, commend what they're doing under Brendan McCullough. You know, don't die wondering. I think it's great for the game of Test cricket, for the survival of Test cricket. But is it going to work if they produce hard and fast wickets against a bowling liner of the calibre of Cummins and Hazelwood and Stark and Boland? Well, I, I look at someone like Travis Head. Mm. On a seeming wicket, he's still got frailty to the moving ball. Everyone has. Every batsman has. But yeah, you I put see... him on a hard and fast track, mate, he'll rip yeah. it. Mate, he was playing baseball yeah. before so, it was even a concept when his play of the series yep. last ashes, you know. He yeah, was he yeah, was flaying them so. everywhere, you know. And, and he saw a bit of that in India too, you know. He, he knows the type of player he is and he's really valuable to that Australian middle order. But, yeah, you're right. You know, it's funny. When Australia were dominant under, under war, 16 tests in a row, then they replicated that under Ponting's leadership. And people are trying to find a weakness. And they'd, they'd always look at England and think, oh, they struggle against high-quality, fast swing bowling. 
I said, you know a batter in the world that doesn't struggle against high-quality fast-swing bowling. You know, it is literally the hardest type of bowling yeah. to face. Like, imagine Dale Stone at his peak, right? Lightning quick, just moved it away really late. I mean, that is hard. That is hard to play. So, yeah, yeah, that, yeah they do that, struggle that, against it. That is quality. Yeah. Their, their batting I, I, doesn't... I think it also... What, what, what frustrated me, Julian, was the decision by Tim Payne in that last test to... to you know, to win a series in England, I know we retain the Ashes, but it's still not we won the series. Mm. And the fact that we sent them in was a ridiculous decision. Yeah, not as ridiculous as sending them in an edge, Mr. No Five, of course, after McGrath's tips on the ball. But you know, let's never speak yeah, of that again. But, yeah. but you know, but but having said that, I mean, really, it was a freakish victory to Headingley. Australia had that. Yes, you know, yes it was. They, they played that test again another hundred times. Australia win it, I think. You know, it's just a phenomenal yeah. knock by Stokes. I mean, Lyon had him, but they had no reviews. We had Harris drop a catch. I mean, we just everything that could go wrong did go wrong. In the stars were aligned for England mm. that day. It's unlikely that that would happen again. It just doesn't happen. And they found a way that day. And good on them. It was a wonderful test match. But you know, that was Australia's series. Let's be honest. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, it all starts. And, and like you said, they haven't got the build-up to the series. Like, like in India, that's what sort of cost us as well. You haven't got those mm. build-up, those pre-games. And, and yeah. We always get caught out like that. Yeah. Uh, I actually haven't looked at the itinerary, how much they have. They've got the Test Championship, of course, but... You know, this is the thing, even though it's the middle of footy season, I think it will capture the imagination, as Ashes always do. Oh, you know, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. And the thing about oh, it is, look. Mark, I remember my daughter was born in 2019. And so sometimes she'd be up at all hours and, you know, I might give her a bit of a, a bottle feed or something, and there I am. I thought, I'll just quickly flick on the Ashes. So it actually it all lined up really, really well, I must say, because you had a World Cup as well that year. Uh, prepare to no, lose sleep over um, again. It's, it's 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 a great thing, and and I do love English English commentary, cricket commentary. They do a great job, and um, it's just nothing better than you put your head on the pillow and um, you listen to the cricket. To be honest, it's great. Yeah. So look, it always cap it always captures the imagination because it's it's just something about nostalgia and you know, gone mm. of the days in the nineties where Australia just dominated sport. We dominated cricket. Obviously, we were even good at rugby. Like, we were good at everything. <laughs> we were and, um, good at rugby. Oh, I remember. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. yeah. My earliest yeah. Ashes memories uh, of two was 89. You know, Steve Waugh, the 177 at Headingley and, you know, B, you know, everyone got runs. And, and they were all written off. You know, that wonderful number 300-odd at, at, at Trent Bridge it was between Marsh and Taylor. And, and then we were lucky, weren't we? It's the ensuing years to win, and then he said 2001 was the last one, and 05, a wonderful series. And and then we were graced with the career of the incomparable Shane Keith Warne, Mark, who you know, has contributed to so many sleepless nights in all those Ashes tours, starting from the ball of the century, 93, because when Warne would come with these massive sort of 15, 20 over spells and you couldn't go to bed because every time he bowled, like every ball was a potential wicket. You know, something's going to happen. God, no, one more over, one well, more over, one more over. Remember that? I, I do, and it brings me to actually to my probably my favourite book that I've ever received was Ashes Glory by Alan Border in 1989, mm. and um, it's great reading even till this day. And um, 
Merv Hughes is considered a clown by the English media. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Terry Alderman dominated and oh. all, all the, like, it was a coming of age and um, I was I was only, like, 14 or 15 at that time and, yeah, it was just, we just dominated because <laughs> my, my first, it's funny, we win test matches now, you don't think of it, but when I first was introduced to test cricket, I remember winning a test match against the West Indies in the middle of the 80s. 89 like series at home, it would have been. Yeah, that was big. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, great memories. But um, no, I look forward to it, Julian. I think because it's in the middle of the football season, it won't matter. Because it's just that it's a perfect time. Starts at 8 o'clock, goes through the mop night. Well, you know, it might and, distract uh, you from uh, the woes at the Dragons if we can jag a, a test, couple oh, of test mate. wins or a series. Yeah, yeah, anyway. <laughs> chin Take up, care, mate. Chin up. All right. Enjoy Anzac Day. Good on you, Mark. Thank you, mate. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Before we get to the break, uh, just an update from the Australian Swimming Championships. Uh, what about this name? Kai Taylor. Wonderful story. The son of 1991 world champion and triple Olympian Hayley Lewis has held off a fast-finishing field to win the 200-metre freestyle. This is the national championships on the Gold Coast. That was the event in which Lewis won her only individual world championship. So there's a lovely little story. Makes you feel old. Kai Taylor, son of Hayley Lewis, starring at the national champs. Of course, Hayley Lewis, one of our great swimmers. Greg Taylor, the dad. Just looking at some of the other results as well. I mean, Kyle Charm has been involved. Arian Titmus won the 400. Uh, Kayleigh McEwen won the 100-metre backstroke, 57.9. Uh, so absolutely dominated. She's the world record holder in, in the 200. So well done to Kayleigh McEwen. Shana Jack made up for a blunder at the end of the 100 in the opening night. She touched the wall a full stroke to win the 50-metre free uh, ahead of Meg Harris to see Molly O'Callaghan was amongst the uh, winners as well. Zach Stubbledy Cook won the 200-metre breaststroke well outside his world record. Lizzie Deckers was the first to the wall of the 200 to fly in the second fastest time this year for Lizzie Deckers. And for the Cody Simpson faithful, his path to Paris is looking more cluttered with a bevy of young guns emerging the 100 fly just over a year out from the Olympics. So Matt Temple won the event. In 51.49, so struggle there for Cody Sims. But Ariane Titmus, so that's going to be huge. Titmus, Summer McIntosh, Katie Ledecky. She won the 400 in four minutes. You're on high ground. Rewind time, higher ground this Wednesday night where we play some of the best and brightest interviews from across the course of the day right here on SEN. He seems like a really, really top bloke, doesn't he? After a bit of time with the Canberra Raiders, it felt like a homecoming of sorts for the Warriors fullback Charles Nickel Klukster, and he caught up with Cameron Smith and Denon Kemp today on the captain's run. Uh, we have the great Charles Nickel Klukster on the line. How you going, brother? Hey, soft please. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> Oh, mate, how are you going? You've had an incredible start to the year. The Warriors are absolutely flying high. You're back home. How's the how's the headspace for you, mate? Yeah, no, it's, everything's going pretty good at the moment. We've been able to rack up a few wins, which has been nice, and we feel like there's still are a lot of improvement that we can do as well, so that's a um, good sign. Hey, Chanter Smithy, mate, you, you rejoined the Warriors, of course, this season, three-year deal. What, mate, tell us... Like, what was the main reasons for going back, and and how's it been so far of the first seven rounds? Hey, Smitty. Um, yeah, it was. I guess 
a big part was to try and play consistent in our early game. That was um, one of the reasons, another reason, these an opportunity that I felt was there when I was last back here, and that's to be a part of the first ever New Zealand Warriors grand final winning team. That'll be pretty special, and my boys moved back uh, a couple of years ago, so uh, that was another big reason. Mate, uh, what's it been like? You know, obviously Andrew Webster's come across, and it just—it's so interesting to see outside looking in. You guys really just having this belief. You know, I, I feel like sometimes you can go into seasons thinking, "Oh, you know, hopefully we make the aid, or hopefully we can take it to the big sides." But it really does feel with the Warriors where you go, "No, there's no hopefully. We can make the eight, and we can make a push." Yeah, I think a big thing for me that I was really. Uh, impressed with when I first come back into camp was just him wanting the team to feel confident about their abilities and about our process as a team. And I think every every uh, every week that that message doesn't change, win, lose, or draw. We he wants us to come out of every meeting being confident in our own abilities and in the game plan for that weekend. So I think that's pretty cool, and I think that's where it starts. And, mate, experiencing Andrew Webster as a coach for the first time for yourself, he spent a little bit of time at Penrith. Do you, do you feel as though he's taken a, a little bit of that that Penrith out of the Panthers and, and taken it over to you guys? Oh, I'd say it'll be hard not to want to take uh, things out of uh, the Panthers' side. They've been the form side of the competition for a couple of years. Um, mm. So in terms of the detail, I, I'm not too sure what exactly he's, he's bought from, from their, their club. But I think the biggest thing, like I said, is, is the confidence in, in our abilities as players. And I think that's where it starts. If we can get you know, each individual 1-17 to 17, feeling confident in their own abilities, you know, that's where it's going to come together collectively. And mate, like you've been at the Raiders over the last couple, but um, for the Warriors boys that have been there over the last couple of years, living away from home for such a long time, do you feel as though now the team and the club, particularly you know the players and the staff that spent so long over in Australia, do you think that a, a, a part of the reason for you know the team's form is because you're back home, you're settled, you're around family and friends, and just you know feeling a lot more comfortable in your surroundings. I'd have to say that's a, a a big part of why the boys are feeling so settled and mm. and really enjoying being at training again is because of that reason. And yeah. I never really understood the impact that it had on the boys until they started sharing uh, a few things about themselves as players. That's something that we do uh, here and there at the club. And a lot of them spoke about the impact of being away from their family. Like some of them, Tulu Harris, he's... He's a you know a family man through and through. He was saying that his spare yeah. time outside of footy every single moment is with his family, and for him not to be able to do that, that was you know that just hit home and it was sort of like a wow. It really did affect these boys, and it must have been such a struggle for them. And it's so good to see them back with their families um, and doing what they love. Hey, Chance, tell us about uh, one of the older boys in your side that's really just in some career form uh, for the footy side and probably a guy that you look, looked up to as a, as a young man um, in New Zealand, Sean Johnson. Just tell us about his form this year and, and why you think he's playing so well. I think it's it's back to what Webby's brought and it's um, that confidence. I feel like he's just so confident in, in what he can bring to a side and 
he's so confident in the game plan and everything that he's doing at the moment. And I feel like Sean's just, you know, he's playing quite simple with his game. Like, he's he's running when he feels like he needs to run. He's passing when he needs to pass. And he's really kicking us out of, out of trouble a lot of the times in games. And I feel like, especially against the Sharks, there was moments where they were stepped back and we probably could have taken that opportunity running. But not nah, let's put it in the corner and, and let's, let's attack with our defense. So I think yeah. he's been driving the team around really well. And um, I've really enjoyed being able to rub shoulders with him again. Um, and, hey, Chance, what about your um, – you've played a, a handful of games at home this year. What about the fans, mate? Like, it's great watching on telly the sold-out crowds, particularly at Mount Spart. It's, it's crazy, eh? It's, it's so electric. Being able to, to play at Mount Smart again, it was sort of, you know, felt like a lifetime for me and, you know, a few of the other boys being able to experience a packed-out stadium. And I think the Warriors fans have, have sort of – Missed that a lot, so for them to be able to come in full force and and really get behind us, man, it's electric. Hey mate, so this, correct me if I'm wrong, is this um, this week's game? Well, sorry, you're playing next Tuesday, but this round is this your first ANZAC game against Melbourne? Yeah, no, nah, first ANZAC game I was actually. Yeah, <laughs> I was um, actually named seventeenth, seventeenth um, man <laughs> a couple of years ago. Uh, I was in the squad, and then I got told on game day that. Um, one of the 18th man was making his baby. Oh, no. <laughs> was, oh, no. I think I was like maybe third game in or something or looking at my third game in, but yeah, it's all good. One of the boys got the debut, but yeah, first game, first game. Oh, good. Well, well, mate, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed everything, you stay healthy and you get across there and, and play this one. What, what Have you spoken about much at all um, within the group this week about what this game's about, maybe, you know, talking with someone like Torhu Harris, who's played a lot of games for, you know, he's played, well, he's played a handful for the Warriors and a lot for the Storm as well, but what this game is all about and what it means to everyone? Yeah, we haven't, um, we haven't touched on the importance of the game just yet. I feel like it's something that we're going to touch on a little later in the week. Uh, today was actually our first day back at training and it was more reviewing uh, the game on the weekend against the Cowboys. So mm. I think once we start to, you know, look at the storm in detail and prepare for what we're going to need to do to get over them on the weekend, I think it'll be a good opportunity for especially the young boys to understand how important this game is. And, you know, even being in Canberra, the capital of Australia, they've had a really big emphasis on you know, making sure that that game was, was a big event and, you know, the boys did know what the, the importance of that game was. So I'm really looking forward to it. And what's the chat internally with the teammate? Because obviously you're sitting uh, top four, pretty sure. Is it is yeah. the chat really like, I mean, that's great, boys, but we, it's a long season. We can't get ahead of ourselves? Yeah, I think the the, the feeling around the club is, you know, we are happy, you know, being, I think it's five wins, two losses. You know, that's a great start to the year. But if you look if you look a little bit closer on the ladder, you know, you're only, the teams outside the eight are only two wins from being in the four or something. So mm. it's, it's still a long season to go if, if we're still inside the four, you know, back end of the year. And, you know, for us, we feel like we can do that. Then, then we'll be cheering a little bit better. But, yeah, the job's not done. We're... we're happy with how we've started, but we, we still feel like there's a lot more improvement that can be had. Yeah, well, you are right, mate. Like, if it's that close at the moment, like, if there's results across the weekend that don't go your way or go against you, like, you could find yourself quickly, 
either at the bottom of the top eight or, or possibly even out of it. That's how close it is at the moment. But a big month of football um, chance for, for the footy club. Of course, Melbourne Storm, yep. uh, Tuesday, uh, Anzac Day, big clash, of course. But then you back it up um, on that Sunday, only a few days later against the Roosters. And then you take on uh, Penrith as well. Big month of footy coming up for your side. Yeah, a massive month of footy. And I think it's it's important to know the position that we're in at the moment and where we've got to go. But also, it's just as important to focus in the head. So I think that'll be our, our big focus leading into this weekend's game against the Storm is just purely focusing on them. And, you know, nothing changes for us. It's about it's about ourselves. I sort of feel like a bit of a broken record. But it's, it really is the same message every week. You know, yeah. focus on what we can control. Make sure we're doing everything that we can at training and, you know, preparing as best as we can and the result will take care of itself. So that'll be the same um, mentality for myself and I, I think it'll be a lot the, the same mentality for a lot of the boys and uh, we'll get over this game and see how we're doing after that. Absolute legend, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. And, brother, you know i a uh, huge supporter of your career, mate, so love seeing you go so well. Nah, thank you guys for having me on, on um, your guys' show and appreciate your guys' time as well. Yeah, I just want to feel alive. Call 1300 01 1170 and text 0457 736 736 to get in touch. This is Higher Ground with Julian King. Look, when I heard the news that my beloved Dragon Star fullback rugby recruit Emma Tonegata was going to jump ship and go to the Sharks of all teams, it burnt me. I know she's got a connection with the Sharks, so I kind of understand it. But it still hurt. But I wish her all the best. Uh, she's a superstar. I do love watching her play. Well... Now as a new Sharks recruit, she caught up with Maddie White this morning. Big news in NRLW. The Cronulla Sharks have signed Emma Tonegato. So the reigning M medalist will be a Shark for the new NRLW season. And Emma's on the line. Good morning to you, Emma. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. And you're actually going to start work today. So tell me what happens today. You're, you're in the community department. So they haven't messed around at the Sharks putting you out to work. Exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah, as part of my contract, I'll be here working three days a week in the community team um, with a focus on the equal access, so everything kind of in the disability sector, which kind of ties in well with my degree in occupational therapy. So, yeah, very excited. We're heading down. We've got a Junior Jaws clinic this morning, followed by a Mega Jaws, which is our clinic for um, participants with disabilities. Yeah, great. So how important was that to you in making this decision to be able to obviously further your own career and further your career as a footballer? Yeah, I think it was, um, yeah, kind of equally important to me as well as being part of a club that kind of values all of that stuff and is really making waves in that scene and um, has such a good community around it that's, um, yeah, really kind of on the front foot, I think was really exciting to me and something that definitely drew me to the Sharks. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of excited to sink my teeth into both NRLW side of things and the role as well. Yeah, which is awesome. So I'm tipping that you put your shark shirt on nice and early. Did you have a look in the mirror and go, "Wow, hang on, this is this is me now. I've got the, I've got the blue of the sharks on." 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we had the photos um, last week as well for the announcement. And when I put the kit on and looked in the mirror, yeah, I was very excited. And um, yeah, honestly, I'm counting down the days till we get started. (laughs) Well, we don't know that, do we, Emma? That's the interesting thing. So no start date yet. And CBA, we don't don't want to get bogged down in that because it's still well and truly Mm -hmm. on the table. So how is that working for you? I mean, obviously you can start your, the other part of your job today, but we're still, yep. still got that hanging out there. There's, there's no date for you to circle on the calendar to say this is kickoff time. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of all getting figured out, as you mentioned, with the whole CBA thing. But I think um, the draw is pretty close to being announced. So there's some rumblings internally, I guess, of when everything's going to kick off. So, um, yeah, I think we'll just kind of bide our time, wait till the squad's finalised, and then hopefully by that time that's sorted, everything will be um, ready to kick off and all, yeah, organised and we can announce the dates that we're playing and, yeah, everyone can start buying tickets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Has it been frustrating or have you just had to go with the flow? Oh, a bit of both. I think um, very, very frustrating. You know, I was previously in a full-time role and, kind of having to manage that transition across to this role was very difficult without knowing, yeah, I guess salary cap and which club I was going to be playing for and all that kind of stuff. But in the same breath, you do really just have to be flexible and go with the flow. You know, there's nothing, I guess, more that we could have done. Um, Just kind of had to wait for the NRL and RLPA to kind of come to that agreement. So, the Sharks. Talk to me about the Sharks, the expectations. Everything's new. There could be a possible switch away from fullback for you. What What are the plans for the season ahead? Yeah, I think um, I think that's definitely on the cards, depending on how the squad comes together. And hopefully there'll be a few more announcements with um, the rest of the team in the coming weeks, which will, um, yeah, kind of, I guess, give everyone a bit more of an idea of the way we want to play, where we're heading. But um, I think... Quincy Dodd being the announcement so far, she's such an exciting hooker and she really takes the line on and and loves that running game, which I love as well. So, yeah, I think the squad will look very exciting once we kind of announce everybody. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited to play with the girls that we've got. Yeah, we've still got about a month to go until the... The 24 uh, women's squad is finalised there. And if you do move into the halves, I know that Nico Hines is, you've already had a quick chat to him. So if you do move into the halves, you've got some pretty good talent around the club to, to tap on. <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk to me about the chat yeah. that you have with Nico. Yeah, I think he just reached out um, and just kind of said, yeah, like anything. I kind of need help with just reach out to him and we can head down to the field, you know, do some kicking, some footage and all that kind of stuff. And I think that just shows the kind of club that Cronulla is um, and how excited everybody in the community is about having a women's team. Um, I know all those years back when the Harvey Norman started, the Sharks were the first team to kind of contract somebody and put a team in. So, yeah, I think it's been a long time coming and I think the community is just super, super excited. And, um, yeah, I guess it kind of shows what kind of calibre Nico Hines is as a person to kind of reach out to somebody and, and offer his services. So, um, yeah, should be good. <laughs> and I guess, you know, just if you take a broader view, Emma, it's a, it's an amazing story. Yours is just an amazing story. But your rugby league story over the last few years you know everybody remembers what happened at Rio and I'm sure that you remember that so fondly but 
Wow, how much has changed since you switched codes to rugby league? Dalian medalist, state of origin, Australia. You had a great time at the Dragons, and here you are about to start a brand new chapter again at a, at a new club, inaugural team, possible positional switch, a new job. I mean, does it make your head spin what's been happening over the last two or three years? Yeah, honestly, it's been crazy. Um, I think 2021 was the when we had Tokyo Olympics, so it's kind of all happened so quickly and um, finished my degree in there as well, which was exciting and something that um, I was really looking forward to ticking off. So, yeah, it's honestly been wild. And I think I've just kind of tried to, I guess, be a little bit chill and just kind of roll with the flow of what's happening because it's kind of hard to plan for, I guess, at this point. But, um, yeah, I'm so lucky and I've been in such a good headspace and just, yeah, really excited for what's to come, I think. And it's only going to get bigger and better from here. Well, congratulations. Exciting times. We better let you get to the first part of your job. I mean, two parts of this job at Cronulla for the next couple of years. So enjoy your day today and, and let's see how this season unfolds once it gets underway. Congratulations again and thanks for your time, Emma. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Call 1-300-01-1170 and text 0457-736-736 to get in touch. This is Higher Ground with Julian King. Bit of a warrior fest on tonight. There's a team that's punched above their weight in season 2023. Certainly uh, defied a lot of people's He'll bomb again, out Saab's way, he times his leap, he's up, it's come loose, Curran is there, Curran has gone over for the Warriors. Yeah, that was his first try in the NRL sats, quick trivia for you. Good play, this kid. Who was it against? His first try? Yeah. For the Warriors? Yes. This year or in his career? No, in his career. 2019 he went over. Um, I'm going to say West Tigers. Nah, it was, who was it, Josh? It was nearly 2021. There you go, at Brookvale. Did you win that game at Brookie? Uh, no. Bro, we were leading like 30, 30 to 6, and um, Turbo just absolutely killed us. <laughs> oh, he does that. He, yeah, he does that to teams, doesn't he? No. Josh Curran, uh, who's the uh, a back rower for the Warriors, having a great year. I tell you what, former Maryland's Ram Jr., Sats, uh, two tries in five games this season. He's in red-hot form, Satsy. Yeah, good player. Love watching you play, Josh. And um, a little bit of a, a throwback back rower you are. You know, you see a lot of back rowers now that are six foot three, six foot four. But the guys like yourself and Victor Radley and Cam Murray keeping the small forwards <coughs> going. Um, now, what I've got to say, Josh, I mean, seeing Mount Smart Stadium last week, it was absolutely rocking. It must have felt great as a player. Oh yeah, a full Mount Smart Stadium. Honestly, it's um, it, I think it only fits like twenty eight thousand, but honestly, it feels like there's about fifty thousand there. The crowd um really getting into it. So um yeah, we we love going to Mount Smart and um, getting packed crowds. We can yeah we can really feel it on the field. What's it like with the team the way they're travelling, Josh? And, and I suppose seeing how many people were at the stadium the other day and how excited they were. Obviously, that's what the reflection of what the community is like at the moment around Auckland. Everyone's obviously jumping on uh, while the the club is, is moving along the way you are at the moment? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's good, I guess. Yeah, I guess it helps that we're winning. <laughs> but, um, 
no, yeah, having having the crowd there, yeah, it honestly helps us. And um, yeah, we've been saying it all year. We were such a different team this year. Um, Roby's came on board and he's changed a lot of things up. He's made us real resilient. And I think you could see that on the weekend. They had about um, 20, 20 tackles on our line. And um, yeah, yeah, we're just real resilient this year. And we're such a different team. Well, he he talked about that, didn't we? Spoke we spoke to him a couple of times in the preseason sats. And and Andrew Webster, coach, actually said we're going to work hard on defence and. Oh, I, watching that game of the week, and I thought your defence was outstanding against the Cowboys. It's the most glaring improvement. Yeah. And it's obviously what you focused on the most. Is that right, Josh? Yeah, 100%. So when Webby first came uh, came in, he um, pretty much gave us the details of what we wanted to work on in preseason. But he said defence was a big one. Um, it was mainly for yeah all the boys that um, you know, last year when we made an error, we would put our heads down and um, probably, yeah, I guess just suck about it and... Um, get the negativities out there. But um, this year, yeah, when we make an error, we, we go, what's next? And, um, yeah, you can really see that on the field. Josh, have you still got that uh, old Nissan? Uh, because it was parked. Have a listen to this. That, where, before COVID hit, he parked his car. Now, correct me if I'm wrong with this. Parks his car at Warriors headquarters, comes over to Australia. Two years later, it's still parked there. All of his possessions. Is that true? Sitting in the car, including a TV. Yeah. Yeah, so when we um, when I first moved over here, I just bought I just bought a car to get around. And um, when COVID hit, they said we'll be we over there for six weeks. So I was like, oh, I'll just park it at the stadium, and um, I'll, I'll come pick it back up. And um, two years later, the car's still there. So um, the, the people, the office people, were actually asking, like, wondering whose car it was, and they've got to get a tow. <laughs> And they just, I don't know why, but they just never got it towed. And um, when we came back here for our first game against um, Tigers, um, one of the office ladies had my keys. And they were like, oh, they, they, they were like surprised it was still my car. Uh, but um, I actually sold that car. So um, got it all serviced up and um, sold it. Did, it. did it start straight away when you got the keys? No, no, no. The battery was the battery was dead. I had to change the battery over and get it all serviced. So, um, yeah, one of the guys around the corner from our workplace um, actually helped me out there. Had mould on the wheels. I read a report. It was an, an old two thousand and five Nissan. Would have been dropping oil everywhere. No doubt about it. Yeah, there, there was mould around the the wheels. I think the two front wheels were flat. Um, so yeah, it was it was a big job. <laughs> Yourself and Dallin Watini Zelezniak, who's winning in the mullet stakes? Oh, this is hard. Oh, no, nah, I've got to go Dow. He's he's got um, yeah, his hair's real curly. It's thick, isn't he, it? He's lucky, hey? Yeah, thick. it is thick. It yeah. is thick. You haven't had it pulled during the game, have you yet? Like this—that's the big story this week, isn't it? Yeah. Have you had your hair pulled if you got a mullet? Nah, nah. But um, I wear the headgear, so. It's kind of protected, but I feel like, yeah, we kind of, yeah. We, if it gets pulled with our own fault, we're growing it. You know what I mean? There you go. There you go. Now, um, are you used to the cold yet? I know because it was broken up for two years, being over in Australia for COVID. And, but being there, what, this is your, you know, since 2019, four years. Are you used to the cold yet? Yeah. No. Honestly, you can't get used to New Zealand cold. It's um I reckon I reckon the worst one is is when you run out for an eight o'clock game, you run out for warm up and it's that cold. <laughs> yeah, my wife's a Kiwi. She never gets used to it. Um, okay, we're gonna put you through the blowtorch now. Okay, Josh, it's uh, short answers about your teammates. 
Okay, if you had, we asked this to all our guests that come on, our, and our old guests. If you had two tickets to the best event in the world, let's just say it's the Super Bowl, you've got one ticket and you can only take one other teammate. Who is it and why? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, I don't know, probably Shawnee. Shawnee Johnson. Yeah. He looks like... Actually, I, just, I just know he'd... He'd, he'd have a good time, but I, he might he, he might be the answer to my uh, my next question. Who's the best dancer in the club? Best dancer? Um, no, nah, Dallin, actually. He's got some dancers. <laughs> Okay, who's the most annoying teammate? The one teammate you love to be able to mute, put on mute for 24 hours? Oh. Um, probably Freddie Lussick. He, um, he's just like a little pest. <laughs> you take it, it, was, it was jazz, but Freddie's, yeah, Freddie's really taken over it. Okay, now, one of the funniest teammates. So if you had to go to a comedy, like some sort of comedy club, and one of your teammates had to get up on stage... And entertain the crowd for ten to fifteen minutes. Who would it be? Um, oh, there's a couple. Probably, if oh, probably Adam, Adam Jazz or Bailey. Adam Fanel Blake looks. He looks too scary to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> but where you reckon people oh, man, are just he looks scary? But he's he's the biggest kid. <laughs> he's the biggest kid, but he's scary. Okay, uh, the f- last one. Who's the first player to leave Mad Monday? First player to leave Mad Monday. And you can't say yourself. Um, so. No, no, I'm the last one, mate. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. See, they all, Probably... go, so they all go for days, the Kiwi boys. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They're big drinkers over here. <laughs> um, I don't know. I honestly can't answer that one. I don't know. What's the uh, beer question you ask everyone, Sats? Uh, spates uh, or? Drink spates, lose your mates. Is it spates or DB for you? No, I drink, um, yeah, I, I think it's called spates or the Tigers. Yeah, spates. I don't, I don't want much beer selection over here. <laughs> Not many microbreweries popping up over there. Hey, we've got to ask you a question. A couple of weeks ago, we had Will Warbrick on from the Melbourne Storm. He's done the opposite to you. He's come from New Zealand to the Storm. Now, we always give Storm players a hard time about drinking the yak milk lattes and wearing black skivvies and all that sort of stuff in Melbourne. Um, We uh, we joked with him and said, oh, do do you drink, what is it, goat's milk? And he goes... Mate, he goes, before I come over here, he goes, I thought there was only one type of milk. Is it true that there is only one type of milk in New Zealand? And that's full cream? <laughs> Plenty of cows. Nah. Nah. They, 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 got, they got oat milk. They got all the milk. Right, okay. Mm. We've cleared that one yeah. up, haven't we? Beauty. Hey, Josh, good luck this week, mate. Who you got this week? I should have looked this up, uh, but I forgot. Who you got this uh, week? Melbourne, oh, yeah, Melbourne. Melbourne. Famous Tuesday day. game. Of course. Yeah, very emotional yeah. game. It's, a, it's a, one of the great Sorry. days on the calendar. Yeah, beauty. All right, mate. Listen, good luck with that. And, hey, thanks for spending some time with us tonight on Sports Day. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I just want to feel alive with you. Call 1300 01 1170 and text 0457 736 736 to get in touch. This is Higher Ground with Julian King. That is us done and dusted for this Wednesday night on Higher Ground. Thank you, everybody, for your contribution. Thank you to Adam. 
on the panel. I'll have a little spell. And back tomorrow for the pre-game and post-game show, a massive Thursday night to kick off round A of the National Rugby League with the Rabbitohs and the Panthers. Take care. Bye.